And we're back for yet another week. Welcome in. I'm Josh Pape. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. Got hundreds and hundreds of submissions from you this week about pretty much everything you could guess it would be about. We've got a ton to talk about. Appreciate so much the five-star reviews that you guys have given us. Keep those coming in. Keep those questions coming in. I'm going to tell you right off the top, guys, I know there's been a lot of negativity this week. It's been an unprecedented week in the history of college football, even if you're four years old or 84 years old. But I'm recording this early Wednesday morning. I got to be straight with you. I got a lot more optimism right now than maybe I did 72 or 96 hours ago. We're going to get into all that. Uh, There are questions that so many of you have asked. I'm not even going to put a name on them. I'm just going to present the most common questions that you've asked about this topic, and that topic, of course, being the cancelment or postponement, if you want to use that term, of seasons in the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Big 12 late last night making their stance known along with the ACC and the SEC. So we're going to get into all that, and we've also got a lot of classical Late Kick Extra mailbag content on the back end. So we've got no time to waste. Again, the way to get in touch with the show, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, joshpate706 at gmail.com, and you can also comment on Late Kick Live episodes on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, one of which, if you didn't notice, just totally went off the rails Sunday night. Disaster of a show. When Colin and I walked out of the studio, it was as if we had just landed Apollo 13 into the ocean. If you've ever seen that movie, and you look and you say, how in the world did we just make that happen? So, Uh, We're going to talk about all that. I'm going to give you a little behind-the-scenes look on that if we have time, and it's a podcast, so we'll probably have time. So let's get right into this. What a 72 to 96-hour period it's been, huh? Substitute teachers, if you've ever had one, if you've ever been in school, you know, I was in sixth grade, and we had a teacher who had to have surgery for the last three or four weeks of the school year. And so it's sixth grade, so already... You're hellions, and then your teacher is gone, and we had a substitute teacher, Mr. Copeland, wore purple pants every day. He would frequently look at us when we would act up and say, your word of the day is fungus, used in a sentence. There is a fungus among us. That's that's what the guy used to say. That's what I remember him for. But it was total and complete anarchy in that classroom for the final three weeks of the season. If you've ever been in that setting, you know exactly what it must have felt like in the Big Ten over the past few days. Zero leadership, it seems, on the outside. Zero accountability. And I'll tell you, things aren't always as they appear. The reason I feel so confident in saying that is because that's the feedback that we've gotten from folks in the Big Ten. But also, you don't have to have any real inside source or backroom knowledge and information on this. The Big Ten coaches, big, notable Big Ten coaches, have gone on record with it, and that is unprecedented. The Big Ten has always prided itself as they dust off that sweater vest that's saying, hey, we're better than you, and we know it. And that's the Globo Gym mantra, but hey, it's also been the Big Ten mantra. They've really kept their internal squabbling in-house if and when it's happened in the past. No more. No more. And so with that said, a lot of your first questions were just generally How surprised you are, and you've asked, am I surprised? Well, no. No, I'm not. And I think a lot of you who have listened to this podcast and you've watched Late Kick Live from the beginning, or at least over the last few months during what we can now affectionately refer to as the Rona era of college football, you know that I've been throwing this thing out there, the 595 rule, 
And when I listen to other shows, I get tired of people continuously pounding the drum of their own mantras and their own little slogans. But I've got to do it with this one because we called this stuff at the outset. I told you about a couple of months into it in May is when I looked in my notes and I really had started to talk about the 595 rule. And here's the reason. The reason is because people were already asking questions in May, obviously. We had missed spring ball and people were asking questions in May. And the questions were, okay, when are we going to get back to normal? And no one had answers. I'm not talking about in the media. I mean, in the decision-making rooms of college football, no one had answers. And so some of the feedback I started to get from some people inside programs was, hey, um, you know, you probably feel in the media like you're a little bit in the dark, but you'd probably be surprised to know we feel the same way as you do. And I had a lot of coaches coming. I'm, I'm serious now. Coaches reaching out to me asking, hey, what are you hearing? That's never a good sign. That is never a good sign when the coaches are reaching out to you saying, hey, man, what you hearing? What, what, what you think? Are we going to start on time? What are we going to do? And so slowly it started to become pretty apparent that you had a lack of leadership. You had a lack of someone willing to take a stand and willing to have a backbone and just go on the record and make a decision. Well, that was May. So the decision makers at the time knew time is on our side. We're good here. We can wait this thing out. And they were right in May. But then June happened and July happened. And guess what? That mentality really never changed. And no one really ever stepped to the forefront. I'm not saying that this situation in every corner of the nation has been totally void of leadership. That's why I call it the 595 rule and not the 0100 rule. The 595 rule, we've talked about it ad nauseum, was essentially the principle that felt like a lot of folks, the 95 percenters, were sitting around waiting on the 5% to make a decision and they'll just follow the lead. That's why it has felt like this entire time that there have been these drastic news cycles where everything goes one way or everything goes the other way. And there's very, very rarely been times where someone says, oh, there's shades of gray to this. You know, I know we had a couple of bad headlines yesterday or a couple of promising headlines yesterday. There haven't been really many days like that. It's all been, oh my goodness, the world's burning to the ground or, oh my goodness, it's time to start the season. That's because really the winds of change have been misleading. And it's been misleading because once one notable person has moved in this whole ordeal, you've had a herd of sheep follow that person, which gives you the impression something must have changed. New batches of data must have come in. New information medically must have come in. No, no. Most of the time that hasn't been the case. It's been someone sneezed and then 47 people said, bless you in unison. Well, that was a really loud bless you. It was just because one person sneezed. So now we got to the deadline. We got to the point right before, the night before the project was going to be due. As I told you this entire time, I expected it to happen. It played out this way. When it's a week to go until the project's due, if you're a procrastinator like I was back in the day, and uh, by the way, there's a reason why I'm recording this Wednesday morning instead of Tuesday night as I normally do. When you were a procrastinator and you looked at your calendar and you saw a week to go until the project was due, well, you thought you had an eternity. You kicked your feet up and you worried about anything other than that project. But you notice when it's 2 a.m. the night before the project's due, all of a sudden, you know, that, that urgency will do something to that procrastination and it forces you into action. But you are never 
going to voluntarily force yourself into action until it's absolutely time. And that's what happened here. That's how, for example, you can have another question that some of you asked. You can have this come to fruition. You can have a schedule release promoted and presented by the Big Ten right there on the Big Ten network last week. And then six days later, have the same league office and group of people associated with the decision-making process in the Big Ten postpone the season. And I'll be honest, that's probably going to be the last time I use the word postpone on this show. I am intentionally using the word cancel because I don't think they postponed their season. I know that's technically what they did. If you ask me and you ask a lot of people off and on the record in the Big Ten, they've canceled their season. I mean, that's what's happening. Nobody with any credibility that I've listened to has looked at this and said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll probably pick it right back up in the spring. Now, listen, selfishly, I certainly hope that that happens. Don't get me wrong, but it would be very intellectually dishonest of me to sit here and tell you, I feel great. I, feel, I think what we're going to do is we're going to have eight straight months of football here. We're going to go fall, and then we're going to take a little break, and we're going to gather around the Christmas tree, and then we're going to pick it right back up in spring. Now, the prospect of watching January football in Ann Arbor, Michigan, just for novelty's sake, does sound appealing, but that's about where the, uh, the appealing nature of that prospect ends. So I want you to just think about something for a second. I want you to think about resetting what your perspective is. Because I think we can sit here and bang on the Big Ten all day. Crippling lack of leadership there. Uh, crippling gridlock of decision-making or lack thereof. We could talk about that, and I'm not even going to really spend a whole lot of time with the Pac-12's decision. It was known virtually all along what they were going to do was just going to be a lockstep counter move to what the Big Ten did, or I guess a move in unison with what the Big Ten did. I'm not even mad at the Pac-12. Their plight is their plight. They also have so many different realities out there. If you're trying to start a football season in California versus starting a football season in Mississippi or Ohio or North Carolina. Different world right now. Chip Kelly, I saw, had gone on record after he found out the season was postponed and said, yeah, we just got back into our building. I have no clue how we were even going to get ready for a season. Not that they're relieved the season's not happening, but it was just a totally different reality out there. But I'm not even banging on the Pac-12 because really, put yourself on a playground when you were younger. And you and your buddies are playing pickup football out there. And it's getting a little bit late. You know, it's fall. Daylight savings time's kicked back in. So it's getting dark earlier and earlier. And so it's 545, it's 6, 615. And you guys are having fun. You're right in the middle of your game. But then you hear, Jeff, let's go. And your buddy looks at you and says, man, sorry. Dad says I got to go, though. Well, are you going to get mad at Jeff? You can't get mad at Jeff. Jeff is really at the mercy of what his dad tells him he has to do. And if Jeff's dad has the pickup truck cranked up and the passenger door is open and he is sternly pointing at it and then pointing at Jeff with the other hand, Jeff has no other option. The Pac-12 had no other option here. They were doing exactly what the Big Ten did or told them to do, or however you want to look at that. So we got two of them out and we got three of them in right now. As we sit here Wednesday morning, that's what we have. Last night, and again, I'm recording this Wednesday morning, last night the Big 12... I think a lot of folks were sitting around. Now, I don't know how true this is. So let me pause. You'll notice if you've been paying attention to this, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably have, you'll notice that there's been this kind of sentiment that has popped up over the last week. And that sentiment is, 
okay, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, they're probably united in what their decisions are going to be. One's going to go the direction the other does. It seems like the SEC is going to wait as long as they can, which is practical. The ACC released a statement and said, hey, we're kind of the same boat right now as the SEC is. And everybody was kind of waiting on the Big 12. And that's really the other reason why I waited until this morning to record, because I wanted to see what the Big 12 did last night. And the Big 12, sure enough, had their meetings yesterday afternoon, late Tuesday afternoon, and then released a statement last night that said, we are on board. We are ready to go. I talked to someone who was very familiar with that process last night, and they did not necessarily take a vote. Uh, but, you know, it was it was a majority. I won't say just a slight majority either. Of the representatives in that room, on that call at least, they got a majority that are ready to push forward and play the season. And I thought it was very interesting to see some of the quotes from various sources uh, being reported afterwards as saying, look, this process, we've tried to close the doors totally, and we've tried to make our own independent decision that uses the data and the facts at hand. And I'll tell you right now, I believe any conference who just goes about it that way is going to start a football season. You have not heard me delve into this, and there's a reason why I have not delved into the particulars of this matter. I have not offered you my medical opinion, nor will I today or pretty much any other day, uh, because I'm not an expert on this. I've got you know uh, medical presences in my family, and I talk to doctors. I've made it a point to talk to doctors, a couple of very notable doctors over the past three or four days that I've reached out to who have been gracious enough to respond. And I've gotten a lot of seven and eight syllable words given to me that I've never heard before and probably will never hear again. But I keep getting the same general consensus. If it is made about the data and if it is made about the facts and the reality, there will be a football season. And just as sure as they say that, you and I know it's oftentimes about a whole lot more than that. And so you get words like liability, and I'm not mad at it because you and I, if we were given the full set of facts and we were put in a decision-making position of a conference commissioner, we'd have to worry about all that too. So I don't envy these guys. I don't envy their roles, but yet it is their role. Uh, They knew it when they took the job. That is their role. So another question that you all had was some version of why now? And that's a great question, no matter how you tried to ask it. That's a great question. Because I want you to go back just a week. Just a week. Go back with me. The Big Ten. Schedule release. Everyone's excited about it. I can tell you we were excited at 24-7 because that means content, content, content. But it also meant another sign that we could be headed towards somewhat of a normal football season. And not only did the Big Ten release their conference schedule and they put that start date in early September, which kind of raised a few eyebrows, but we said, okay, I mean, they must know what they're talking about. Foolish us. But not only did they do that, they released some guidelines, some parameters, basically kind of a a talking point sheet. And in those talking points, it said we created this schedule with maximum flexibility built in. That makes you feel a whole lot more like you're on a sailboat instead of the Titanic. Really hard to turn the Titanic. Sailboat, you can turn it on a dime. And so, how in the world, in what galaxy, as I tweeted out yesterday, how in the world could you ever imagine releasing a schedule and six days later, not only postponing or canceling your season, but 
in your very statement saying it was abundantly clear that we had to cancel the season. If you honestly believe any new data or discoveries were made over the past six days that went from making it clear you needed to release a schedule to making it abundantly clear you needed to cancel a season, you're high. That's what's happening right now. You're high. And listen, that's okay. Well, depending on which state you're in, that may be okay, but back away from any hot microphone, okay? Back away from any press conference and back away from anyone who is putting you on record. That's not what you want to be saying there. Kevin Warren or otherwise. That's the new Big Ten commissioner who is having a baptism by fire, by the way, right now. To answer your questions, though, I don't, I don't have an answer for you because it makes no sense. When we, when we saw the SEC release their early schedule format, we saw that September 26th start date. Now, that was controversial at the time because there were, as we said on this podcast, two schools of thought. You had the Big Ten scheduling their season to start essentially Labor Day weekend, and you had the SEC starting it at the very last Saturday in September, and you wondered, okay, well, the Big Ten, like I thought the Big Ten's move was more shrewd at the time because it gave them time. You know, you're not going to have to start technically when you say you're going to start. If something pops up or if you don't feel safe, you can always push the start date back. And you give yourself flexibility, like their talking point sheet said they did. They were right about that. If they were willing to utilize the flexibility, the SEC was backing themselves a little bit further into the season where, okay, we're going to start later. We're going to give our ta- ourselves time to watch what happens. But once we start, we're not going to have several Saturdays that we can hit the dump button on. Well, that only rings true if you're willing to utilize your flexibility. The Big Ten wasn't. The Big Ten scheduled and then said, all right, we got a ton of flexibility here, and then they canceled six days later. So again, I'm not normally one to openly question authority on this show or really in in general because I understand that there are so many things behind the scenes that leaders and people who run organizations and people who are making big decisions have to take into account that you don't have to take into account if you're merely an observer. That's why you rarely hear me strike the chord that I have struck with this whole situation over the last week. But see, I go back to this. If it were merely about the process and it were merely about data, numbers, protocol, if that was all this was about, you still wouldn't hear me running my mouth about this. But that's not what it's about. It's about failed leadership. And that I am somewhat of an expert on because we've all witnessed that a time or two in our lives. Another question that a lot of you had is, well, okay, so now what happens with all of these disgruntled members in the Big Ten? Ohio State's spoken out, and they talked about maybe seeking elsewhere to play this season. Nebraska's been very vocal about it. I think, and this is me now, I think that that was a lot more wild speculation than informed opinion. People who were informed about it and were able to remove the emotion have maintained and been pretty steadfast in the belief that that's not happening. That's not that's something that's going to be maybe talked about and it's just emotion. You know, it's like you getting in a fight with someone and screaming I hate you, but then, you know, a day later, you may still be mad, but <laughs> I don't hate you. Okay. I don't we need to work some things out, but I don't hate you. Well, that's kind of the thought right now. And even if you wanted to, you probably couldn't. I say probably because I, I, I would also say 
well, you're probably not going to release a schedule only to cancel it six days later. So probably, not definitely, but probably. Now, I will say this. I, I think that the Ohio State folks, I think a lot of folks who have talked like this up in the Big Ten generally thought, and genuinely thought, rather, that they may be able to pull that off. And there's one area now. You notice how indecisive the Big Ten's been. There's one area well, Kevin Warren and the Big Ten have been very strongly putting their foot down, and that is letting Nebraska and anyone else know you're not playing ball outside of this conference in 2020 and coming back to this conference in 2021. So, hey, it is nice to see that taking a stance on something is still a thing that can happen in the Big Ten. Maybe uh, too little too late, but it is nice to see they're still at least capable of that. Yet another question that I probably had at least 30 or 40 of you ask is, okay, what's going to happen to the transfer portal now? This is one that's unknown. In theory, I think the transfer portal may get flooded with players if if the dynamics were right. So let me – I'm hesitant because I don't really know how to frame this. Let me explain what the deal is. It is not May. If the Big Ten were to have made this decision in May, for example, and you were looking at a program like Auburn or Texas or maybe a place where you think they're going to play, you would look at their rosters, and the rosters wouldn't really necessarily be totally set yet. Now, I'm not saying everyone's roster is set, but you work your entire offseason to get your roster to the 85 number or get it thereabouts to where you can open camp and your roster is set. Which means, in all likelihood, there are very few places in conferences where they're going to play, and as we sit here today at least, where there's a lot of room to be adding people. So you quickly see, it's not that Florida wouldn't look at a number of these guys who may want to transfer from the Big Ten to the Pac-12. It's not that Florida wouldn't look at them and say, man, we'd love to have you. We could use you on our roster. The question is, and I'm just using Florida generically, the question becomes, how much room is there really? And we didn't have one program cancel the season in the Big Ten. All programs had their seasons canceled or postponed. And so you're looking at it and you're saying, all right, a lot of guys may want to get out of there. A lot of people in the Pac-12 may want to get out of there. Where are they going? How much room do they really have? This is another one of those deals, by the way, where I think it's strategic in nature when you phrase it as, we're not canceling our season, we're postponing our season. So what are you talking about transferring? Our season's happening. It's just happening in the spring. Well, with watching how poorly this has been managed to this point, you can understand the doubt that a lot of people have in their minds, especially from a player's perspective, when you say, okay, you told us we were having a fall season six days ago and just canceled it, pulled the rug out from under us. Why would I ever trust you four or five months out from a season that you say is going to happen. So no, I'm packing my bags and I'm transferring and I'm going to a place where it seems like they actually listen to the voices of the players and parents of players and the coaches. It seems like that conference down there in the SEC or over there in the ACC or over on the other side in the Big 12, it seems like they're a lot more apt to listen to me than you are. And there are winning programs there. Uh, half of them probably recruited me out of high school if I'm any good to begin with. So all this is on the table. And I'd be lying to you if I told you anyone in our industry at 24-7 Sports or otherwise had a highly educated guess about what's going to happen here. Everything's unprecedented, so there's really no way to know. I can tell you now, 
I've heard Kirk Ferentz kind of go on the record yesterday and a lot of other coaches behind the scenes, they're very scared to varying degrees. They're scared about their rosters being poached. Now, here's the sense I get. The sense I get is one of the benefits of going on the record and being as public about this as you have at Penn State with James Franklin or Ryan Day at Ohio State and voicing your displeasure at every turn with the league's handling of this, etc., is when someone tries to come and poach you from their roster, they can look at you and say, no, 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 no. We're of the same mentality they are, okay? The league's decision was not our decision. So don't think for a second that just because the league made this decision, that's how we think around here. Okay, we are right in line with you. And more importantly, when it comes to recruiting, This is going to be used. Make no mistake about it. Let me be crystal clear. Every program, if you get a season off the ground in the SEC or the ACC or the Big 12 or hopefully all three, every one of those programs, when they are recruiting heads up for a four-star defensive end out of Huntsville, Alabama against the likes of the Big 10 or probably the Big 10, Pac-12 doesn't venture down to Huntsville very often, it's going to be used. And It should be used. I wouldn't even view that as negative recruiting, to be honest with you. I think a lot of the Big Ten folks believe, oh, it may cost us a kid or two, but we'll largely be able to weather that storm because, number one, this is just a one-time deal. This will never happen again. And number two, we can point back to our public statements and say, look, that was politics. That was behind the scenes, backroom stuff. We weren't involved in it. We wanted to play, and we will play. And you're still capable of everything here that you would have been capable of before that happened. So just forget 2020. However, I'm not quite sure that that confidence is founded because of the next point that I want to get to. And the next point is not so much a question you guys asked. I mean, dozens of you asked, do you think the season's going to happen? I think that every effort is going to be made which I can't say in some places, but every possible effort is being exhausted in the league offices, in the ACC, SEC, Big 12 on board here. Every league left, I believe, is in it until the very end. And by the way, I would also pay attention to conferences like the Sun Belt. They haven't canceled anything. The AAC has not canceled anything. Conference USA has not canceled anything. So I know people still think in power five terms and you think you're down to three. Well, what a golden opportunity. If you're able to make it happen, what a golden opportunity for a program like Memphis, for example, or a program like UCF or a program like Louisiana Tech. What a golden opportunity that could present itself this fall. But let's just wrap it around again and go back to the question that a lot of you were asking, and that is, will they get a season in? As I sit here on Wednesday morning in, what is it, August 12th, August 12th, I'm still of the belief that every possible effort is going to be made, and I think that a season will be gotten off the ground. Or to put it another way, if Greg Sankey and the SEC end up canceling their season, you will then know there was no way to get a college football season off the ground. Now, getting it off the ground versus landing it, again, two different things. Let's at least get to that bridge and try and cross it. So I believe we'll get a season off the ground. Still believe that. If you made me bet money, I would still bet money on that. But 
for all the talking and hand-wringing and concern, valid concern, but concern over what would happen if we started the season and then things were terrible and we looked horrible and we all lost our jobs and kids got hurt and, you know, this has been talked about a lot over the past few months. But for all that concern, I haven't heard many people bring the counter scenario up. So let me present it to you in rhetorical fashion and then we'll move on. Let's say that you are an Ohio State fan. Let's say you're the head coach at Ohio State. Let's say you are the athletic director at Wisconsin. Let's say that you're the university president at Purdue. And you've made the decision that you've made, or the conference has, whether you liked it or not. So the conference has made their decision. You guys are not playing football this fall. Now, as you sit here this morning or tonight, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, right now, your brethren down south, they're planning on playing and in the ACC and the Big 12. Okay, now you probably think that it's only a matter of time before they cancel their seasons. That's what you probably think. But let's say it doesn't happen. And let's say you're sitting there at Ohio State or Wisconsin or Purdue, and it's September 26th, and those teams kick it off. ACC could move their date, we'll see. But let's say it gets to week one, and they're actually following through on this. They've made it through camp, and they've had some hiccups, They've had a few things that have to be adjusted, but they made it to the start of the season. You're probably still very cynical, and you're saying, well, watch this crash and burn. And week one goes by, and week two goes by, and week three goes by, and we get to the midpoint of those seasons, and outside of some minor hiccups, those conferences are largely succeeding in playing a college football season. Do you understand, for all the heat that is on the Big Ten now, do you have the slightest clue, the absolute torch and pitchfork mob that would form in the Big Ten if they are looking elsewhere? And keep in mind, their leadership has told them it's abundantly clear we cannot have a college football season. And they're looking down south, and they're faring just fine. And they're doing just fine in the ACC, and they're doing just fine in the Big 12. And all their protocols that they had in place, as it turns out, worked. And they rewarded their programs and their student-athletes and their coaches for adhering to those protocols by playing a season, and the season is working. I, I don't even know what it looks like, to be honest with you. I just know that the Big Ten, as you know it, would probably cease to exist. I'm not giving you some Sodom and Gomorrah, burn-it-to-the-ground type scenario, but what I'm saying is, if you're a coach, and you're sitting up there at home on Saturdays, and you're watching another conference pull it off, how do you look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm in a place right now that is as serious about competing as any place in America? How do you look yourself in the mirror and think that? How do you look yourself in the mirror if you're a player and think that? These are very valid, at least, scenarios to me, if that were to happen. Now, again, it could be, and in fact, if you were placing odds, you'd probably place majority odds on the other side. And the other side says, oh, they probably won't get the season off. If they do, they definitely won't take it to the wire, and there won't be bowl games and conference championship games. You may be right. You may be right, but they are giving themselves every possible avenue to make it happen. And so that, at least for me, for the time being, is good enough. That's acceptable. And again, a quick reminder as we shift gears here, 
I appreciate so much the five-star reviews. Please keep those coming. We are approaching 400. We want to get to 1,000, and then who knows beyond that. Uh, Now, a lot of you I just assumed, ignorantly, I assume that when I say stuff, everyone just knows what I'm talking about. If you don't know how the five-star review works, it's an Apple podcast thing. So if you're listening on Spotify, Android, just ignore the next 15 seconds. But if you are listening on an iPhone or an Apple device, you go into wherever you're listening to the podcast. So on the show's page, scroll down. It it may be a little ways, maybe a long way, but scroll down and eventually you'll see the review section. And there are little stars that you can rate there. I think it's the one furthest to the right. Click on that star furthest to the right, the fifth star. And that gives us a five-star review. And also you can write a review there, which I also appreciate. And quite honestly, that's where I get a lot of the question submissions for the Late Kick Extra podcast from. So that's how that works. I had to explain that to a relative of mine last week. So if they don't know, I have to blindly assume that some of you may not know. But we appreciate it. We really, really thank you for that. It's given us a ton of traction, gotten some attention, and it's been noticed by important people. So thank you. Because, you know, as I write on your Christmas card every year, you're the most important people. Ugh, I feel like taking a shower now. Okay, so let's move on and let's address some of the questions that were non-postponement-centric. And a lot of you wanted to know something that is purely embarrassing, but I got to address it because I want to be open with you. So Sunday night, show was a total disaster. Sunday night, as you remember, as you probably recall, it was a very weird time already. A lot of stuff was happening. I mean, midday Sunday, we started to get reports from various national entities that by week's end, the entire season is going to be canceled. And it didn't quite work out that way so far. Then again, we're only halfway through the week. But It looks like some of that did happen, so partial truths in those predictions. And so I figured, why have a normal late kick? We could be just kind of talking into thin air, into the wind, if you will, about predictions and depth charts and all kind of stuff that may not matter because teams that we're talking about may have their seasons canceled during the show. So I hit up Bud Elliott of the Barton and Bud podcast, among other things that he does here, and I said, hey, I never have guests on late kick. Never done it. I rarely will do it. I just, I've gotten abundantly clear feedback from you, that Big Ten terminology. The feedback from you has been abundantly clear that you've told me what kind of show you want. So I put together that kind of show for you. But that was impossible Sunday. So I said, hey, let's make an exception, man. Let's just, you and I, essentially do what we do in the editorial meetings on Zoom. Let's just publicize one of our editorial meetings and let's talk through what we think is happening. What's the reality? Where do we think things are headed? Then, Colin and I, Director Colin, got to the studio and realized when we were doing our typical sound check and tech check that uh, sound was bad. Tech check was bad. And so it was one of those Brentwood, we have a problem type situations, which is just south of Nashville. That's where our current studio is. And uh, for the next hour and a half, Colin, who is a wizard, who knows every button, and there are thousands of them in that room and what they do, has no clue what to do. Every possible combination of buttons have been pressed and tried, and we cannot get on the air. So we had to delay it a little bit. Then we got an engineer on board, and he didn't know what to do. So then we had to remotely wire in another engineer, and he didn't know what to do. And then finally, Colin just takes a sledgehammer essentially to the board, and then, okay, now it works. What in the world just happened? Um, Then we try and get Bud's Skype feed up. 
and we couldn't get that up. And then we couldn't get a reliable audio source in from his Skype feed. And then we finally go on air right after I told you in the live chat that, oh, the show's canceled. Wait, wait, wait. No, it's not. No, it's not. And so then we got off the ground, but then we constantly had issues with Bud's audio. And 99% of you were very tolerant with it because you understood things happen. This is a live show. This is the price you pay for being live sometimes. And then there were the 1% who said, why, why would you have audio this bad? You should have just taken him by phone. Yeah. Well, let me take you a little behind the scenes. Um, in some worlds, you have line producers and just little tech monkeys who are standing around waiting for something to do. And you have an entire crew back there. And they are ready, willing, and able to make those adjustments on the fly. But right now, there are two people cleared to be in that building. I'm one of them, and I'm sitting behind a microphone with no power to do anything related to tech issues. And Colin's the other one, who needs about five arms already to control everything that he's having to control in there. There were no adjustments, guys. Apparently, there were a lot of folks far more well-versed in producing shows than me in the comments section. I normally don't address this, but... I did want to humor you with it, who were um, calling the, mainly it was the Y-O-U-R, your stupid crowd, who were giving me all kind of advice and tips, and I appreciate it. And hey, for those of you who did give me such tips and advice, I just tell you, apply it on your show. Good luck and apply it on your show, and when things go off the rails, then I'll probably show up in your comment section. But I'm not salty. Oh, don't think I was mad. No, never, never. Far be it for me to be angry about it. Uh, I just, I lost some enamel on my teeth from grinding them a little bit, but I'm not mad at it. That, that's not me. That's not my style. All right, let's move on. Now that we have that issue out of the way, we had a question about Florida recruiting. And when I say a question, I mean about 37 of you came in because some things happened this week in Florida recruiting. Big things, very big things. I was surprised by them. I got to be blatantly honest with you. I was surprised by them, but they happened. So Miami, we've talked about for about three weeks now. Miami has had seemingly a ton of momentum, and it's not just imagined. They verbally, I want to say verbally, landed James Williams, five-star athlete out of South Florida. They then, a couple of weeks later, landed verbally the commitment of five-star defensive tackle Leonard Taylor out of Miami. And those were big gets. Again, the whole premise here is no one is really capitalizing on keeping South Florida and Florida talent home in state. So if it looked like Miami was anywhere close to starting a snowball downhill of doing that and catching some momentum, I was going to talk about it. And I have been talking about it. And so part of the counterpoint that was made to me from some Florida fans was, okay, but They suck on the field still, and we're getting it done on the field. So maybe we don't finish top five in recruiting, but we've got the results on the field. And I I was very puzzled because I didn't voluntarily bring up the Florida-Miami comparison. I was just talking about Miami, and Florida fans popped in there. Now, I appreciate the passion, but they popped in there, so they were the impetus for me saying a lot of things I said about Miami, not to go back down that road. Well, then this happened. Jason Marshall. Five-star corner, also out of South Florida, out of Miami. Same high school down there. A lot of these kids go to the same high school. It was thought for a while that Alabama led for him. And then it was thought when that momentum shift started to happen collectively a couple of weeks ago, it was thought that, ooh, Miami's making a move for him too. Maybe they're going to get him to stay home. And then there were a bunch of crystal ball shifts. And then all of a sudden, everyone in our industry thought 
Miami's got this one. Manny Diaz tweeted out some not-so-veiled hints and gifts that indicated, yeah, they probably got his silent commitment. I, I heard that they had his silent commitment. It's no secret. A lot of people heard that. And I think it happened. Well, imagine my surprise when a few days later, when our eyes are totally off the ball, we're looking at who's going to play college football this season, all of a sudden, I get a text from one of our recruiting guys, Jason Marshall to Florida. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. What I thought I was looking at on that screen, I was very preoccupied. I looked at my screen. I thought like a 2022 kid must have committed to Florida that may be named Jason Marshall, but Jason Marshall is a common name. So it certainly is not the one in the 2021 cycle. There's no way. And an hour or two went by and I was on Twitter and I saw something that was related to that. And I said, wait a second, wait. And then it also, it also dawned on me what the, what the text message had said that I was sent. And sure enough, I go back and look and Jason Marshall, five-star corner, South Florida has committed to the university of Florida. And I was shocked. And so you got to give credit where it's due. This is a massive recruiting win. I would not argue back with you if you told me this was the biggest recruiting win that Dan Mullen has had to date. Here's how big it was, and here's how big a shock it was. I was over on the Swamp 24-7 message board. A lot of you guys were shocked. A lot of you guys were surprised at it. Normally, the hardcore recruiting portions of the fan base, normally they have at least an inklings idea of what's coming a little bit before even the other general hardcore recruiting public has. Not in this case. So hats off there. And it didn't stop with Jason Marshall. Because a few days later, now this one may be not quite as big a bombshell surprise, but Will Collier, four-star safety out of South Florida, still a huge pickup. He verbally commits to Florida too. I think he did it on CBS HQ actually. He verbally commits to Florida. And so all of a sudden, you go from not only mildly to moderately criticizing that staff and hearing Florida fans do the same to saying, wait a second, is, dare I say, is this an actual hot streak for Florida recruiting? Well, uh, short answer, yes, it is. Now, I just wonder to myself, you always wonder, are they going to remain committed? I never speculate that a kid's commitment is going to be short-lived. There's no, there is no guidance There's no informed guidance that would suggest any of these kids who commit are about to decommit. Could it happen? Yes, of course, history tells us it could happen. But I'm going to sit here and assume right now, everyone who's committed everywhere is going to sign with that place until I have information that suggests otherwise. And so right now, this is really good for Florida. That's the obvious part. But then here's what I wonder. The residue of these commitments, what does it mean? Does it impact other kids? Because the way that momentum works in sports is overblown a lot of times. I'm a believer you just keep playing the next play, and eventually you'll create momentum. Momentum's only as big as the next play. But in recruiting, a little bit different. In recruiting, I value momentum a whole, whole lot. And so if Florida has it right now, then what does that wave bring them? In addition to Marshall and Collier, what else could it bring them? Which recruitments could it get them involved in that maybe, like Marshall, we didn't really know that they were involved in nearly to the degree that they were involved? Let me just say that. So hats off to Dan Mullen and his staff. Hats off to his staff. And now we kind of wait, as we've been doing with a lot of this sport right now. We wait and see 
what becomes of this? Okay, we've got plenty more questions to get to here. Wesley's got a really good one. Press conference stories. Oh, I've got a good one for you, Wesley. I got re- This is one of the best kinds of stories. It's a story where you can call one of your buddies out anonymously, but yet enough people in your social circle know exactly who you're talking about where he'll still get made fun of, and you, the listener, who couldn't care less who he is, will get a good story. So stick around. We'll do that right after the ad break. By the way, as we move on here, quick reminder, five-star reviews. Thank you. I wasn't going to say that, but anytime I say quick reminder, it's just instinct now. I told my mom the other day, hey, quick reminder, mom, five-star review. And I was actually asking her to pick up something from the grocery store because I was back home. And so a uh, quick reminder, and here's what I was really going to say. Uh, not all the questions that were submitted this week are being answered on this podcast. I still have them. It's just with everything that's happening right now. Half of them have been deemed temporarily irrelevant because they deal with a season that may or may not happen in certain conferences. And then the other part is we didn't have time. I'm going to get to all of them. I don't miss any of your questions. I see every one of them. If I don't answer them, it is genuinely because I just missed them, which could happen. You know, it's, it's a department of one here when we do this podcast, Tani notwithstanding now, of course, on the back end of it. But as for aggregating your questions, that's a department of one. So if you don't hear your question answered, fear not, we'll get to it in due time. However, I do have one that I want to get to here. Wesley asked me, is it true that a lot of reporters are scared to ask Nick Saban questions at press conferences? If so, do you have any stories on this? Yeah, for some reason, yeah, uh, that, that is true. And yes, I do have a story. So l- let me talk about the why first. The why is Nick Saban's not necessarily the most jovial person in the world, but yet he's got a really good sense of humor if you're serious. Here's the thing. You have to be serious for guys like him to even entertain the idea of laughing with you or or laughing alongside you, etc. If you're not serious, there's nothing funny about that to someone like him. So what happens in press settings with a guy like Nick Saban, and I say a guy like him, there are very few like him, but a guy like Nick Saban, you'll get in these press settings and people will get called on to ask questions and they'll just ask terrible questions. It just, there's no other way around it. They'll ask some really dumb stuff and he's not having it. And so the only difference between Saban and a lot of other coaches is some coaches may look at it and they may say, oh, I feel sorry for the person who just asked this question. So let me take it easy. Let me put my kid gloves on here and let me respond. Well, he doesn't. You know, and to be honest with you, I think that's a little bit of a sign of respect in a backhanded kind of way. It's a sign of respect to you because if you if someone has deemed you qualified enough to put you in a job where you can get credentialed to an Alabama media event, you need to be able to ask good questions. That's the bottom line. And if you can't, then don't ask questions. But if you ask a dumb one, and someone calls you out on it, that's not the worst thing in the world. Now, I've asked the guy many questions. We interviewed him for 20 minutes a couple of months ago, and things were fine. There was no intimidation. There's immense respect. Don't get me wrong. But there's no reason to be intimidated. It's just a person talking to another person. So I've always enjoyed my interaction with Nick Saban. I've never had that situation happen between me and any coach, ever. And I've been in these settings for quite a while now. But see, the difference is... If I don't have a good question to ask, I just keep my mouth shut. And that doesn't mean every time I ask a question, it it ends up being good. But I can assure you it's well thought out. And the way that I think is, if I'm in a post-game press scenario, for example, 
I'm not tasked with writing a, a post game, a gamer, a post game column, or a post game recap. I'm there normally in in TV roles, and so I am gathering content instead of writing content. But I ask questions. I think you're sitting there in your car on the way home wanting to know. That's what I ask. I don't just sit there and. It, it, 203 yards rushing tonight. Talk about Jerry's performance. That's not me. I understand why those questions are asked. That's not me. So here's the story. The story, I go back a couple of years. I've been fortunate enough to be able to take folks to their first college football games. And so I take a guy to his first college football game in in a media capacity. And it it was an Alabama game. So afterwards, I think it was LSU at Alabama 2017, I want to say. And uh, Alabama wins that game, and we're in post-game press conference. And this guy's in awe of the entire spectacle because he's never been to a game there before. And so he's sitting there, and I, I, we were in the front row of the post-game presser. And I will never forget it. He is – I don't think he blinked for like five minutes. And he's sitting there watching Nick Saban take these questions. And so Josh Maxson, the, the SID there at Alabama, what he'll do is he'll have you raise your hand – and then he'll take quick notes on a pad of paper, and he will remember who raised their hand, and you know he'll go in order. They'll take anywhere from five to ten questions. And when it's your time to talk, he'll point to you as they pass you a microphone. So he gets in there. Here comes Nick Saban. Josh goes, all right, raise your hand if you have a question. Coach will get to you in just a second. And so he writes the names down. And so a few minutes later, you know they're working their way through the rotation, and we're sitting there on the front row, and all of a sudden, Maxim points right at the dude with me, who is about as equipped to ask Nick Saban a question as my dog is, and he points right at him. I'm going to leave this guy's name anonymous, but he points right at Person X, and Person X is totally petrified. If you've ever been driving down a county road late at night, and you have come upon a deer in the middle of the road, and you understand where the phrase deer in headlights came from, if you've ever actually seen a deer in your headlights, that was him. If you haven't had it, but you saw that guy that day, that's a deer in headlights. And fortunately for my friend, as one of the assistants there is walking towards him with the microphone, they handed it to the person directly to his right. But for about three or four seconds of his life, he had no clue what was about to happen. That was just a line in the sand, and this is it. Everything has led to this moment, and then life's about to crash and burn. That's kind of the effect in some of those press conferences. So, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of fear for some reason. And, yeah, there are some good stories. Uh, that's just one that I was personally involved in. But let me tell you, I've sat there and many a time listened to the question be asked and then put my face in my hands knowing what's about to come, and nine times out of ten, you get exactly what you expect from the best coach in the history of this sport, as far as I'm concerned. Or right, we'll get to one more here, but before I do that, I wanted to just kind of give you a little heads up. I've got a meeting about this actually Friday. Now, nothing's, nothing's written in stone. If it was, I would already tell you. Nothing's written in stone yet, but we have some format changes that are planned. Now, I have already told you that in a perfect world, when we have a college football season, we will do Late Kick Live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, also available in the podcast feed, three nights a week. We will do it Sunday night, Tuesday night, and Thursday night. 
That's the way I did it before I got to 24-7. That's the way I prefer to do it here at 24-7. And, of course, those are made available via podcast the next day. But if you want to catch them live, the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, subscribe, please, is where you want to find those. Well, right now, what you're seeing in your podcast feed, if you're listening to us here, is you're seeing a Monday replay of Late Kick Live from the previous night. Then you're getting Late Kick Extra what you're listening to right now, on Wednesday. And then you're getting the replay of Thursday night's Late Kick Live on Friday. So right now you got something Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I won't go as far as to tell you exactly what we're planning. I will go as far as to tell you, those of you who have demanded more content from us will probably be very pleased with what we're planning. Let's just leave it at that. And we'll move on here. There was a really good question here that I thought we could use to wrap us up. And a reminder, again, I'll get to all your questions. This is a very different Late Kick Extra this morning because of circumstances outside of our control, as they say. But uh, this is a final one I wanted to get to here. And then I'll have a, a whole barrel full of questions for the next Late Kick Extra podcast. Who knows? I may answer some of these on an episode of Late Kick Live. I do that pretty frequently. So if you don't hear your question answered on here It may be that I answered it on one of the live shows. So Milan asks, It's been a while since a team whose head coach was the offensive play caller won a national championship. The last one I can think of is Jimbo Fisher in 2013 with Florida State, so it rarely happens. Do you think teams having their head coach calling the plays are better or worse off as a result of this? Well, I certainly would not look at Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma and say, ooh, Oklahoma's struggling because Lincoln Riley's calling plays. So it's certainly a case-by-case. But I will say this. My preference, if I were a head coach today or if I were an athletic director today, here's what my preference would be, and I would give myself flexibility to adjust as the situation warranted. My preference would be, let me go find a head coach who runs things like uh, Nick Saban does Because Saban, to me, is the perfect blend since we were just talking about him. Ed Orgeron's another example. Uh, Mac Brown at at North Carolina, the way he's doing things right now, is a good example of someone who is involved in every facet, but they don't, on game day, run either side of the ball. They're not calling the defense. They're not calling the offense. But they are driving the bus. And they are delegating, in other words. So they are a CEO type, if you want to dumb it down to that level, And they got folks doing the roles that they're supposed to be doing, and they've assigned those roles, yada, yada, yada. Now, the Saban approach is, yeah, everything's delegated, but yet his hands are in pretty much everything. I don't know, um, now that I think about it, I don't know that I would look to duplicate that blueprint. Number one, because I don't know a whole lot of people who are qualified to pull it off. And number two, I don't know anyone who wants to work 842 hours a week in order to make that happen. But what I would like is, I would like someone who knows the totality of a program. Because here's why I think it's less likely to happen today, not impossible, but less likely for head coaches to be calling plays and winning championships than maybe a generation ago. I just think the overall job title and roles of a head coach have increased to the point where you are spread so thin, you have so many responsibilities that to stay at the cutting edge Because you're not asking me to make a bowl. You're asking me to win championships. To stay at the cutting edge of calling a defensive game, calling an offensive game, requires laser-like focus on that craft. And I I don't know how you pull it off. I really don't know how you pull it off and be a successful head coach in the other compartments 
that a head coach has to exist in. Fundraising, for example, is a compartment that's totally separate from football, the actual game of football. Now, the sport, the industry of football, that's where it's included. I remember when we interviewed Brian Kelly for Social Distance a few months ago, and I was talking to him before we started the interview. I said, hey, what do you got going on this morning? And he just pulled up a piece of paper and said, do you see this? This list is a list of everyone I have to call this morning and every group I have to speak to this morning. And he wasn't saying it in a woe is me sort of way. I kind of mischaracterized his tone there. But the point was, I said back to him, a lot of football on that sheet. And he just rolled his eyes and said, yep, you get it. It's a whole lot of administrative work. And every head coach has to do it, whether you're at Notre Dame or Oklahoma or Georgia, anywhere else. You got to do it. So I'm not saying it's impossible to stay on the cutting edge. I'm just saying I don't know how I would pull it off and stay on the cutting edge and fulfill all my other obligations. So because of that, the approach that I would prefer is having a great president type coach, a CEO type coach who wins. So therefore, he is good to work for also and can attract the best coaching talent just as he can attract talent in recruiting. And that's how I run a successful college football program or an organization, whatever you want to call it. All right, we uh, still have a loaded inbox. I haven't even come close to getting to all these questions. And so we will get to those next week. Uh, reminder for a third and final time, five-star reviews, please and thank you. JoshPate706 at gmail.com, one way to get in touch with me. Follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. Obviously, now more than ever, important to be following on Twitter because uh, something will probably happen between the time I hit stop on this recording and the time that you listen to this podcast. So at late kick Josh there, I also have my DMs wide open. I have spoken to many of you this week, actually, on there, and uh, I regularly communicate with you using that medium. So until Thursday night, when we air the next Late Kick Live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, have a great week, have a safe week, take care of yourselves, and God bless. <laughs>